Welcome to Church Jams Now, the podcast where three former youth group kids and current music nerds deep dive into Christian music from the 90s and 2000s. I, of course, am your co-host, Kylan Savage, and with me is Mr. TJ Smith. Hello, hello, bonjour. And our beautiful producer, Josh. What's up, guys? But guys, hush. We have guests. We have multiple (laughs) guests this week. (laughs) We are more... Then honored to have Troy Glesner and John Dunn on the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. Absolutely. Uh, we should ask first, but is this audio only or is this also video? So typically we only will use like clips from the video for like social. Yeah. We're primarily audio. So the fact I don't have a shirt on right now isn't going to be shocking to you. No. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to be worried okay. about that. No. Kind of in yeah. the dark too, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. It's We're, a good look. You're pulling it off. <laughs> Yeah, I just find shirts constricting, so I'd stay away. I do, too. I do, too. I actually changed right before because I was wearing the same shirt I was wearing last time the three of us recorded, and I didn't want Josh and TJ to think I was that gross. When you when you came on, I thought it was John, because like, I swear he has that same shirt. Yeah. Wait, yeah. wait a minute. Got a bonus camera. So, okay. Hey, uh... Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Do you want to tell our audience a, a little bit about who you are? Yeah, so I'm Troy Glessner, uh, owner of Spectre Mastering. Been mastering for over 25 years now. I think I stopped counting at that point. Um, predominantly work in rock, everything from folk to uh, the, the most obnoxious metal you can probably uh, wrap your brain around, uh, but still have worked on some hip-hop, still done a lot of of pop, and even recently been doing a couple of small indie films. Um, I'm kind of having fun with the whole surround sound thing. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Cool uh, dynamic. So, yeah, I'm uh, Jonathan Dunn. Uh, The reason why I'm here, uh, I was a tooth and nail records for uh i think 13 years uh started in the mail room and uh eventually became uh director of a&r and so um i don't know released probably about 100 records probably about 100 that that <laughs> that's wild dude just little stuff that's so you know. cool little stuff you've probably heard of yeah I, I forgot to uh research myself before coming on the podcast but that was a good number of years ago but um <laughs> you know bands like uh, Emery, Hawk Nelson, uh, Haste the Day, Norma Jean, uh, August Burns Red, August Burns Red, like no big all the, kind of that, that whole era. Uh, I don't know if you've all kind of done a how deep many, dive on how many of those bands have we covered, Josh? Uh, almost amount. all, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty yeah. much all yeah, of yeah. those. <laughs> yeah. If we haven't yeah. yet, we will. Yep, yeah, exactly. and so, uh, if you haven't already, maybe it wouldn't be interesting to anybody, um, but. <laughs> You know, there there was like different er- eras of A&R guys uh, or directors of A&R hmm. at Tooth and Nail. And so uh, I kind of came on the heels of Chad Johnson, if you all ever talked about or interviewed oh, Chad yeah. Johnson. So I did just do, we just did an ACB miniseries. And oh, yeah. I was doing like this little like bit where I would like read the credits at the end. Yeah. And so I read the credits in uh, Hell or High Water. And then it's like in the credits, it's like, a and R, Chad Johnson at the beginning and yeah. John Dunn at the end. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> like it yeah, specifically mentions both of y'all. <laughs> yeah, so that that was the era that uh, yeah, uh, Chad and I overlap for a little bit, and so um, you know we can dive into it if you want. But uh, 
Uh, first band I signed to Tooth Nail was uh, Emery. Uh, so their first record, uh, The Week's End, uh, that was pretty much like my first foray, and Chad and I overlapped uh, for a couple of years there, and then Chad left, and uh, you know, I had decent roster of uh, bands that I was doing A&R for at that point in time. And so, uh, yeah, kind of transitioned uh, between the two of us, at least uh, tooth and nail and solid state wise. BC was kind of separate run right. A&R, things like that. I did, uh, I did do a handful of uh, BC bands, um, but you didn't have to A&R Jeremy camp or anything. Uh, man, I got a lot of Jeremy camp stories for sure. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, but, right. uh, yeah, never, never an our Jeremy camp, but, uh, yeah, hung out with Cutlass. him, hung out with Cutlass and Jeremy camp, uh, a, a good bit. The first Cutlass record was recorded at my recording studio. Nice. Yeah. And then that was when I met Emery too. You remember they booked a day and they were supposed to record something else and they ended up spending the entire day recording interludes mm-hmm. and you you were mad <laughs> that, that was uh, <laughs> that sounds john was like how'd it go and i'm like uh, we recorded stuff like what'd yeah, you do that, i think that was the uh, <laughs> i think that was on the question question record and they wanted uh, yeah. they wanted like that an, makes sense an interlude like a two minute just like musical oddity uh not <laughs> in between every single song uh, which oh, uh, like all those like interstitial tracks on the question yeah, they wanted yeah. they wanted like twenty of those, yep. and I was like, "No, that's yeah. not gonna happen." But uh, we we <laughs> can save so those funny. stories. That's for, like the most like that's as a musician that is like the most relatable thing to me of like going down that rabbit hole and just being like, "Well, this is what I'm doing like all day. This is this is my focus <laughs> all all day today." <laughs> yeah, and then I think on that record too, track three, which is generally where you put a pretty strong uh Mm -hmm. song yep they had like a minute and a half ambient interlude there and i bold choice they they weren't listening to john at that point and i was i basically just took over i was like dudes you're not doing this like we're we are going to save you from yourself yeah troy and i had a a great relationship where you know the artist didn't necessarily know that we hung out six days a week uh, yep. building cars and motorcycles yep. and like you know i'd be in the room as troy was finishing mastering the records and so you know troy's not a tooth nail employee so you know at the time they'd be like well he's just a mastering guy yeah. and he's got an outside right. perspective and yeah. i go hey troy no yeah. make sure you tell this artist <laughs> yeah. that these are terrible ideas because yeah. i keep telling them they won't listen <laughs> they're to not me. listening but, but if you can tell them yeah, as a wouldn't. third party uh, so we we avoided a lot of mistakes, such as yeah. like a ninety minute interlude <laughs> tracks on, <laughs> that uh, actually, on the question. That's like super that. fascinating to me, like the concept of having to like your role sort of being for a while like reigning in an artist, right? Like what a what a daunting task. But I feel like you get good at it. Like I guess that's a statement that I'm trying to turn into a question. Yeah. <laughs> Do you right. get the, good at it? <laughs> to, to quote Mad Men, that's what the money's for. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get right. paid to save an artist from themselves uh, half the time. And really, and when people ask me what production is, like that's at the top of the list. Is like Our job is to save an artist from themselves. That's fascinating, because I feel like it's got to be a balance, right, between saving them from themselves and also like creating the most refined and ideal version of of what they do well and it's also you you don't want to like impose your ideas you're we're here as a catalyst 
Sure. Right. You know, to make sure whatever art, whatever vision comes across. But sometimes in the studio, uh, people lose their way. It's so <laughs> yeah. easy to get lost yeah. in the studio. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and that's when it's like, okay, this isn't me. I got to save them from themselves right. here. Like, this is, this is a bad idea. <laughs> that's so funny. So I just wanted to, really quick, before we get like super nitty gritty for any of uh any of our listeners because there you know there's probably going to be a couple listeners that have zero idea of what mastering is and what A&R is so could you guys give just like a you know your elevator pitch the, yeah how do you explain <laughs> it to a layman what you guys do should we explain our own roles or should we explain each other's roles. Ooh. Oh, that'd be fun. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Why don't Why don't we do that, and then we'll go back and have an opportunity to correct one another. That's That's perfect. I love that. So, I love it. so when it, uh, when I explain mastering to somebody, I usually use the analogy of building a house. And so, you know, you have like your foundation work, which is very important. Uh, you're mm. in foundation work, which is that's like songwriting. You know, crafting. Uh, you know. The music that's going to go on there, that's the foundation. The mm. producer is like the framer of the house. And so they're coming in and, you know, framing walls and doing plumbing and doing all your rough in. Uh, then your mixer is basically the person that's doing siding and drywall and like, you know, all these kind of more functional pieces. That's right. so good. And I don't think I've ever talked to Troy about this, so I'm curious to see if he's going <laughs> to tell me I'm an idiot. But uh, You're totally wrong. <laughs> so ma- to me, the way I describe mastering within the analogy is mastering is like all the finish work. So that's like the finished right. carpenter that they're coming in, they're doing the baseboards, they're doing the window trim, they're doing the paint, like everything. All the pieces are there, and the mastering engineer is like basically. Covering up the rough spots, like, right. you know, uh, caulking uh, covers a multitude of sins. So that's the mastering <laughs> engineer that's, like, coming in uh, and basically doing the beautification of uh, the final product. So, you know, when you walk into a house or listen to a record, you know, it's not often that you're looking at the millwork being like, man, the trim in this room is amazing, right? But without <laughs> without that millwork and the trim, you're, you're like, well, it doesn't feel or sound incomplete, right? So it's not right. necessarily the most appreciative of all the roles within a house, but that's like the finish work that like yeah. makes it a house. So I don't think I've ever told Troy that. I've never. Killer. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. But that, that that's so the analogy right. that I that I use when uh, somebody's like, "What is mastering?" Yeah, I, I, <laughs> that's great. I would when I have to describe my job to somebody, I just say I'm a big Mobetta button. <laughs> so that works too. Make things if louder, if right? I'm doing that it right, that's too. basically yeah. it. Um, if I was gonna just <laughs> describe John's job, at least from my perspective, uh, I could do it in one sentence: adult babysitting. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you There's go. A, a lot of from A and R to ABS. Yeah, a lot of a <laughs> lot of diaper changing, a lot of wiping snotty noses. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, all those things. Um, Have you ever had to bust anybody out of jail? That's the... That is... Yes, absolutely. All right. Yes. All right. Yeah. You're money. Even I've gotten... I've gotten... Well, I didn't get Troy out of jail, but I was riding my skateboard to pick Troy up out of jail once. Yep. But I don't know if this is the uh, appropriate place for that story. But, um, 
Yeah, I'm trying to think how far removed I am from Tooth and Nail, if I can tell all these stories. But maybe I'll leave the artist name out. Sure. Cool. Leave hints. So there, there was a band that I was working with. Uh, in the intro, uh, I didn't mention. I also, uh, I've been in uh, the band Demon Hunter, if you all are familiar with Demon Hunter. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, thank, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, I've been in uh, Demon Hunter as the bass player. A little band someone's probably heard of. Yeah, uh, since, uh, you know, the origins, uh, don't believe uh, Wikipedia that I joined in like 2003 or something like that. I don't know how to change Wikipedia and I don't care. I was looking it up because were you, it looked like you're on the Summer of Darkness, like in the booklet, right? Were you, yeah. Was yeah, that your yeah, first yeah. record? Yeah, and we, we can spend time on the okay. Demon Hunter stuff. Uh, cool. But uh, so somebody somebody that really wants to nerd out which one of you was all the researcher who was the researcher TJ? josh is all josh oh josh <laughs> so if you really want to nerd out you could research this if you wanted to but <laughs> there was a band that we signed to solid state they were putting out their first record demon hunter was taking them on tour hmm. and uh it was like a week before going on tour and the band's manager which was really just like a friend of theirs from right. their hometown that knew nothing about man- band management <laughs> called and was, uh, they Typical. said, the, sing- the singer is in jail right now and <laughs> we need bail money to get him out uh, to go on the tour to support this record. Uh, so yeah, uh, bailed that guy out of jail so he could wow. come on tour and uh, support the record and uh, all that good stuff. So Hopefully make some money. <laughs> what year was their debut record in? Oh, uh, I mean, if I give that, that's going to be... Don't do it. That's, that's going to be pretty oh, there Some of these yeah. people are still my clients. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, that's uh, fair. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So, that's a great story, uh, So, yeah, I've, uh, I've, bailed, I've bailed artists out of jail and kept a lot of artists the, the out of jail. The thing is, the thing is, between Josh being a research guy and me loving puzzles, like, you just basically gave us our whole weekend. Okay. <laughs> this is some homework for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my one of my favorite Demon Hunter things because uh, uh, the first shirt. You want to tell the story about the picture on the first shirt? Who, mm. who the dude the in the shirt mask was? Preceded the band, or so the let, let's not make this a Demon Hunter uh, focused podcast. But um, <laughs> it, it is know, tooth and nail oriented. It is though, tooth and nail oriented. So um, the first photo shoot. Uh, actually happened before the band was even formed. And so it was just like a goofball idea. Right. And so the first photo shoot, there wasn't band members, so it was just random people from the Tooth & Nail office uh, to look like a metal band. So uh, when you look at the photo, uh, most surprisingly, uh, Brandon Ebel, owner of Tooth & Nail Records, is in Mm. the photos with a wig on. So he's there. Uh, Ryan Clark's there. Don Clark's there. Ebel had a like a. Well, so here's here's the one which <laughs> normally I would avoid uh, saying this, but somebody brought it up and I didn't listen to it. But somebody brought it up in an interview and he admitted to it. So I'll go ahead and <laughs> okay. uh, bring it up. So now it's so uh, the one the person with uh, you know the bandana covering half their face is uh, a guy named. Uh, Josh Tillman, also known as Father John Misty, yes. uh, who was an intern at uh, Tooth and Nail at the time, and, and he played drums on two of the ballads on uh, the first record. Oh, wow. I thought this Jesse played drums on all those records. So, so Jesse played, I think the first record has 11 songs. Jesse played nine of the 11. I didn't then, know there was a, I did not know that. Father John Misty played drums on... The two ballad tracks from next show I'm going to, I'm going to ask him to play those songs. 
Just yeah. the drum parts. Yeah. Just yeah. the drums. Just yeah, I think one one is Can the you gauntlet. Play my throat is an open grave, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Father John Misty was uh, the original drummer. Well, Jesse, but uh, played drums on the original That's record. That's wild. Two That's y'all heard so, it here, folks. So he's yeah. in the fo- photo shoot with the bandana over his face. Uh, Amazing. Been, and I don't think I've ever admitted that publicly. But again, I was at least told that he admitted that in an interview okay. recently. So. There is a, I read a relevant article where he mentioned that he was like living with Aaron Sprinkle yeah. and played on the a couple songs on the first demon. Okay, record. great. So there so, we yeah, go. So, so he's in the photo shoot. Available out there. Yeah. And then uh, Tyson Tyson Paoletti, who was the A and R guy for BEC uh at the time or even currently at the time and currently he's been there for a long time so uh tyson's in the photo shoot and then dimitri argis uh who is the web developer for asterisk studios which that later morphed into invisible creature and all that kind of stuff so he's in the photo shoot so yeah there wasn't even a song written at the time but they had photos <laughs> but there was so photos funny. and there was wigs a lot of bands have i mean <laughs> take the photos for the band that you want to be in right mm-hmm. <laughs> yep while we're on a Manifested. little brandon evil tangent here can one of y'all i've i've it's been speculated a long time i've never heard it confirmed i'm sure it might be somewhere but the band almanzo oh yeah. that's appeared on a couple uh compilations that's brandon singing right yeah absolutely <laughs> okay okay cool <laughs> yeah. that's what i was like widely and confirmed. you listen to it, you're like that does sound like brandon but it was never like officially who else played on those so those it's uh it's jason martin uh, Starflyer Jason Martin. So he did all the music, and then Brandon uh, sang okay, Pancake okay. Pancake Batter Girl, which is a song about an episode of uh, what was that old show like Living on the Farm, Living on the Prairie, Little House, Little House on the Prairie, Little House, Little House, on, the Little House yeah. on the Prairie. Yeah, all the what? band members are credited as credited yeah. as like Little House yeah. characters <laughs> in the liner notes. Incredible. So I, so I, I hope I'm not the one that's spilling the beans on that. But yes, that's Brandon that, uh, that, that <laughs> okay, was the singer. Okay, I just know who else was involved, too. That's and, awesome. And Thanks songwriter for, uh, for, for the Almanzo tracks, yeah. That was just for, for Josh's personal edification. <laughs> yeah. He's probably I mean, not even going to publish this episode. No one else, like, just... no one else out there is like, the Almanzo tracks, of course. <laughs> and r- really, <laughs> since you brought up Aaron, that is how I ended up mastering for Tooth & Nail. Um, because Aaron came out to my studio to work on one of his solo records, and we kind of hit it off, and um, literally that's my entire connection. That's how it all started. Was we we were friends, and then he was what was the studio in the the compound, compound. the compound, um, and he just became after that became their staff guy, um, producing records, and right. he was like, I want my buddy Troy to master all this stuff so that is i can literally trace that all back to aaron (laughs) right that's so and so following that path to how troy and i met each other uh so i was working in the mailroom at the time so uh we're in magnolia neighborhood of seattle this is like what 2001 2002 somewhere in there and so there was a full-on underground basement and that was aaron sprinkle's compound studio the next floor was the warehouse and mail order, which that's what I ran. Uh, and that's also where Asterix Studios, which is Don Clark, uh, Dimitri, uh, Greg Lutzi, who went on to found uh, ViscoCam. Uh, he was oh, an intern wow. and, and ended up working there. And then the top floor was actual, like, you know, 
marketing and publicists and radio and Brandon's office and like all the you know real employees. The non vampires. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, I, I never went up there. <laughs> so uh, Jim Worthen, who was and is uh, the CFO, which Jim is like the ultimate studier. So if Jim sees a podcast with our names on it, Jim's going to listen to this. Yep. So I'm going to give a shout out to Jim. If you're listening, I've wanted to ask you on. So I, Jim, <laughs> please come on the show. I would love yeah. to talk to you. Oh, I, I don't know if Jim would do it, but Jim is incredible. <laughs> that guy sits on stories upon stories. You'll just never, he's like NSA style. I, like I think he's talk. forgotten more about music <laughs> yeah. and bands than I know. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, Jim, seriously, Jim, Jim legitimately is like the best CFO that any company could ever hire, tooth and nail or otherwise. Absolutely. Like Jim, wow. Jim is like, he is on it. Yep. And so Jim was the connection that, you know, uh, we used to overnight records almost daily. We'd be overnighting records to Troy through FedEx. And then uh, I had to master. And, and then I had Troy, a stack of tooth and nails <laughs> FedEx slips. Yeah. And so it was literally the, it was, I was, they said from tooth and nail being FedExed to tooth and nail. Yeah. On them. <laughs> Yeah, so, so we'd be okay. we'd pay like fifty bucks to drive it down the thirty miles between the Tooth and Nail office and Troy's studio. It would be like fifty bucks to go there, and then Troy would have a day, and then fifty bucks to go back, right? And but there was it would take three days and a hundred dollars going both ways. And so Jim was the one that made the connection, and he was like, at the time I was living in uh, Renton. He's like, oh, you live in Renton? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, we have a mastering studio in Renton that we work with. Like, would you be able to drive by and pick up the records? And I'm like, sure, okay, <laughs> right. And I I didn't even think about it, but you know, right. Jim again, being a consummate CMO, he's like, I'm saving a hundred bucks a day, and like <laughs> this kid that works in mail order is doing all the driving and pickup and yeah. No, that, literally that one decision saved thousands of dollars. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. all said and done. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Over over a year, that's like somebody's salary. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. And what are like what are are they tape reels that you're picking up then, or what like file format are they on? So this is still what I'm delivering PMCDs. So okay. PMCD oh. masters. This is still physical master CDs. This gotcha. is flip phone flip phone era. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. So this that is he'd pick up padded envelopes with each record would have four master CDs in it, two for backup, and then two would get sent to manufacturing. And there were some days where he would pick up a friggin' shoebox of <laughs> eight, nine records. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there was so much stuff going on back then. Yeah. Like I, I don't remember mastering Chasing Safety. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, I don't. I don't remember it. Well, there's too much going on. Whatever yeah. you did was great. I'm just gonna put that out there. It obviously worked. And just, just, we don't just know. as a backup, somebody write this down. But if this interview gets boring, uh, let's call back to where we stored the two backup versions. We'll come back to that. If we, all right. if you all get bored, just call that right. out. And I've, I've got some good <laughs> stories it. about that. Noted. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's how Troy and I met. Uh, was I would go there to pick up masters at night, and well, drop off a load of masters, pick up a load of masters, and, save and a you, day, and a hundred bucks each way. Like Troy didn't he didn't suck as a human. Like you thought he was cool. So I was more worried about meeting him because my studio is my. <laughs> That's yeah. my place. Tro- Tro- <laughs> like, who's this dude? Tro- Troy- <laughs> Troy's a little bit of a, of a hermit, reclusive. Like, you know, he, he likes his own space and his own things. 
So, uh, you know, the first handful of months, like, I don't even think we really interacted. It would just be like, oh, I'd wow. knock on the door, he'd give me a box. I don't even think we said hello, and that was a couple of months. The first time I saw Troy's wall come, walls come down uh, was he was mastering uh, the first Demon Hunter record. And so it was uh, Don, Ryan, and I. Uh, came to Troy's, and this is the first time I've hung out at Troy's. I've knocked on the door and gotten boxes, but like I've never hung out. So uh, Troy's mastering the record, and so imagine this setting right now. Troy, y'all, y'all, where your point of view? You're mm -hmm. the three of us, Don, Ryan, and I, sitting on the couch, and we're watching the back of Troy at his monitors. <laughs> and at the time, Troy had long hair that I'd always seen pulled back in a ponytail. Never seen it <laughs> out of a ponytail. Strong red, girl. red, red. By the way, red ponytail. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a. When it grows out, it's, it's yeah. a, it's a mane. Yeah, it's, it's like a red <laughs> ponytail. So I only ever seen it in a ponytail for months, and so I came with them for the mastering. We attended. We were sitting on the back couch. Troy didn't really say a word. We gave it to him. He's sitting there. He's mastering, uh, doing the thing, and his head slowly starts bobbing, <laughs> and then he like pulls the ponytail out. <laughs> And the hair is now yeah. loose, yeah. and Troy's sitting at the desk, and he's, you know, starting uh, to get the mane fly. moving. And so the three of us are like, oh, shit, this might be a real thing. Like, <laughs> yep. people, out, people yeah. outside of our friends might actually enjoy yeah. this record and what's going on, because this Troy guy, yeah. like, he doesn't even talk to us, but he's, right. he's now Hessian. He's, he's like, full-blown, yeah. take yeah. the ponytail out, Hessian to this record. And no joke, leaving the mastering session, we were like, this might be a real thing. That guy was into it. Like that Troy guy was into this record. Like, Demon, I mean, that Demon is Hunter might the be a real compliment, thing. Is it not? Right. Like that's so validating. I mean, especially yeah. I mean, Troy, you just like you didn't you don't remember mastering some <laughs> record. So if that like well, mastering is weird because like, it's weird because I'm if you're mixing and you're a producer, you work on ten, maybe twelve records a year. Mastering doesn't work that way. I work on 10, maybe 12 every two weeks. You crank them. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so when you've got a busy day or a busy week, you're not right. like, I'm not listening to the band. I'm missing. I'm listening to the tone. Like, I don't care about what the dude is crooning about. Right. You know? right. Like, I don't, I'm not there. Like, that's all done already. The, yeah. The yeah. St like, I'm, it's literally like, white noise to me yeah it's sure. all you don't about care how many bedrooms and bathrooms there are you just you got to get mm -mm. the trim done right yeah. right it's <laughs> it's all the, about the right it's all about the overall tone of it all yeah like i i so I, like i've been in a car at one point it's happened a couple of times where it's down in la and i was with my buddy evan down there and something came on the radio and i was like what is this this is familiar and he's like, dude, you mastered this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, cool. But yeah, when you. That's the I've heard all day. When you have that many things come across your desk, sure. like I, I become like the worst name dropper ever because like the <laughs> name, it, it, it doesn't even register to me because I'm like, I'm just there for sound. Yeah, like yeah. I'm not, I'm not A&R. I, I haven't babysit this band. I haven't, you know, it, it's just that part of it. And there's so many of them, you know, when you're producing a record, like I said, you got like 10 or 12 in you a year, but like, it, it's hard to like, there's, you know, when you do a couple hundred a year, 
You don't. You don't yeah, remember. Right. Yeah. You don't remember them all. I mean, yeah. I. I'm not saying I don't pay attention because obviously I pay attention, but yeah. like I don't necessarily remember. Like somebody later on told me that right. that that record had gone gold, and I'm like, who? They're like, yeah, Dude, yeah. You, oh my yeah. god, that's incredible. <laughs> right. Yeah. And well, then that I mean that makes me wonder like what are the bands or the records that you consistently loved working on because the tone was already there and it was it was able to be sort of buoyed up in the mastering process in a way that was exciting for you. Was there were there any projects that you worked on that were like everything well, this is the main Aaron Aaron JR Yeah, there there was the the heyday in there where Aaron was producing. Um okay. most of it was mixed by JR McNeely yeah. and I was mastering and that was like those were some incredibly well done records as far not only production wise but sound wise uh I was super proud of that era yeah. because at that point we were like an old married couple or triple I guess it was. <laughs> a, a Mormon right. married couple Yeah yeah so yeah. and it, like literally the only time my phone rang was if something was wrong and mm-hmm. the more we worked together the less the phones it was just Right. You know, right. it, it, it was a great yeah. creative environment. Yeah, it was a really great. But as far as records that I, like, working with Starflyer probably and Jason, I would have to say, like, because I was into Starflyer before I started working on the records. Oh, wow. So even though, like, size-wise, that's not a huge, huge band, like, that to me would be like working with you 2 Like, I was, right. like, yeah, I was or, working yeah. with... Yeah somebody I already idolized. Yeah, same. Right. Yeah, Jason yeah. Martin is Josh's white whale. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the pipe dream that we know will uh, will never come to pass. Oh, he'll never hope. do he'll never do an interview. But that's okay, you know. That's uh, right. So, so on that, that hill, I'll tell a fun Starfire story that plays to that exactly. Please. So, uh, you know, when I was the director of a and I was also overseeing licensing and publishing, so... You know, if somebody wanted to use our song in a movie or soundtrack or like any of those kind of things, right. uh, that would go through me. And so, you know, when uh, when Gap was like, you know, pretty easy, but Gap was like blowing up. They uh, they heard I don't know. You're the research guys. Y'all y'all look up what song it was. <laughs> uh, but they reached out and they were like, "Hey, we love uh, this Starflyer song, and we'd love to use it like on our in-store displays. Do you have a music video? We'll pay." you to license the music video to play. And we're like, nope, Jason Martin doesn't do music videos. He doesn't come in. And they're like, well, we'll pay for the music video and license the music video on top of it to play in the store. Oh, my gosh. And so uh, I'm like, okay, let me figure something out. So I called Jason. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if you all have ever heard, like, Jason's just, like, normal talking voice, but... It is nothing like Starflyer. Yeah. And he's so call him and he's like, What's up, Don? That's literally what he sounds <laughs> like. He's like, What's up, Don? And I was like, here's the deal, man. Gap's gonna pay for a music video and they will pay you to like play the music video. So you're just winning all the way around. Like, and I don't know, you're not into that. What can we do? And he's like, dude, sounds awesome. But uh, I don't wanna be in the music video. So why don't you just like Hire a bunch of actors to look like cool, <laughs> yep. cool people, and just do it that way. And Amazing. I'm like, oh. I'm like, are you for real? 
because I'll do that. Like, I <laughs> yeah, right, legitimately yeah, do course. that. And they're, they're giving us the budget, and he's like, yeah, whatever, man. I don't care. I'm like, okay, cool. So legitimately hired a production company, hired a DP, hired actors to play all the members of Starflyer. <laughs> so Jason Martin, who's like, you know, 50 at that point in time, is... He just turned 50. Okay, so he's 40 yeah. or maybe 35 at that point in time, but he's aged beyond Which is his years. Music industry for 50, right? Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, that's fair. And so he's played by like a 20 year old kid, maybe a 20 year old, 21 year old kid that's, that's like hip, so wearing yeah. clothes, singing, and there's like a girl playing keys, and like <laughs> it's all these yep. like young kids as if they were Starflyer. Yep. And Jason literally had nothing to do with the music video. He's just like, whatever, man, go ahead and do your thing. I don't care. Like, how many kids saw that music video and thought that was the real Yeah, so they're like, man, this Jason guy is super young and hip yeah. and cool, which he's, he's hip and cool, and he's got all those things, but... <laughs> that not, ain't him. Not not a 20-year-old kid, and there's like, I don't know, y'all find the music video, you can it's, cut it in. It's play, play I win from yeah. my island. I remember. Oh, my island, yep, yep. Yeah, I, uh, there, it is. there it is. I remember. There's only cause like, like three Starflyer music videos to choose from, yeah. so it's not like hard <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, shout out them. to Gap for uh, paying for that music video and all the that's actors wild. to uh, to play. Okay, to play that's Starflyer. Awesome backstory, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember because John's at the office and we would communicate all day long over AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, yeah. And uh, old, old folk over here. Back, well, that was, that was when it was a thing, dude. No, it was the thing. Yeah. Nobody used and that. I, I'm pretty sure that's depreciated at yeah. this point. Yeah. John time. messages me and he says, <laughs> Yeah, right. He says, good news, I got Starflyer to make a video. Because he knows I'm a big Starflyer fan. You know, it's nice. like, but, and he sends me the link, and I'm like, where's the band? <laughs> where's, where's Jason? Where's Jason? Who are all these kids? Who are this? <laughs> so, whatever, there's a, there's a good Starflyer story for you. And so if anyone ever awesome. watched that music Thank video, I was like, why is there a bunch of kids in there? And the answer is Gap. Gap, Gap clothing is the answer. Yeah, cool. Anytime you want to come back and just tell Starflyer stories, like I'm here for it. It's <laughs> uh, you and me, man. Jo I, I Josh it. wants to just spin this podcast off into just a Starflyer podcast. I got plenty of like it. off the record Starflyer, so I gotta make sure you don't hit record, but I got off the record. <laughs> Jason yeah, Martin's I don't think Josh even wants to start a podcast. I think he probably just wants yeah. to buy you a beer He'll be and just hear Starflyer stories. Just, like, send me an e just send me an email like every other week or something like that. Like, yeah. One of my favorite things about working with Jason was on about half the records we worked on, he didn't have an idea for a sequence at all, and he just let me do it. Oh, really? Wow. Like he literally, he was like, put it together how you hear it. And sometimes he'd come back with like, now nah, just swap these two songs. But he gave me a lot of freedom in that way. Yeah. Was that exciting wow. for you to get to sequence an album for someone else? Yeah, and it, it happens more often than you think, especially if, really? if I get, again, our job is to save an artist from themselves. Mm. If I get a record in and I'm like, these songs are great, but they're completely in the wrong order. Yes. Right. And so I'll, I'll, like, I'll send them the master with their sequence and then I'll also sequence it my way. And I'm like, hey, I did this. Check this out. And about That's half sweet. the time, they'll, they'll go with what I did. Because they just didn't hear it that way. Yeah, you know? that's right. awesome. You're coming in with fresh ears. And right. Right. you yeah. have, obviously, some great inclinations. So, yeah. 
it's a great third party to have. Troy, you're speaking our language because a big part of our podcast is like alternate track lists. When we review mm, albums, wow. we talk yep. about sequencing a lot. So mm-hmm. it's it's just really cool to talk to somebody else who actually cares about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, It's a huge thing. I mean, a lot of people just think, no, we're going to put this first because this is the best. And like, But when you're building a record, right. it's supposed to be a journey. And if you're not on the right road um, for the journey, it, it's disjointed for the listener. Mm-hmm. It may make sense yeah. to the band because of their personal attachments to these tracks, but it doesn't necessarily make sense to the end user. No. Like yeah. there's a better way. It can get you lost with the journey analogy, right? Like right. you just wind up. Yeah. Forest somewhere, yep. and you're like, How did I get here? Yep, mm-hmm. what are we doing? But I mean, they're spending days making musical interludes, so of course, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're, like, if you're Emery, lost, you're just you making know? interludes that ruin your record. They're on a tone journey. Uh, <laughs> so, so another tangent off that, this I, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, so here's an exclusive for y'all. We're getting some hot takes from, from John today, yeah. Man. Uh, so the Under Oath Chasing Safety record, which you know, we already talked about, and seminal in it. a lot of folks' life. Um, so the band came through uh, as the album was being mixed and uh, put together and sequenced and all that kind of stuff. So they came into the office, and we had, like, a little listening party, and they were like, well, you know, we don't have titles for, like, half the songs on the record. We don't have titles for them. And they're like, we're open to ideas if anyone wants to give us an idea, uh, ideas for song titles. So completely disassociated from even listening to the song, I just go back to my desk and I'm like, okay, I have a creative assignment of you know, thinking up song titles for uh, this band. And again, I'm not even listening to the songs. So I'm just going, going through everything on my desk, just trying to figure out, right? And Norma Jean, Josh Scoggin era, uh, Bless the Martyr, they'd kind of broken, mm-hmm. broken wide. They're like, you could just make up whatever you want. Right, just like Anything. paragraphs. Yeah, it could be like, yeah. I used to hate cell phones, now I hate car crashes. And there's a song about <laughs> right. his like, junior high girlfriend breaking up with him at Taco Bell or whatever, right? And so there doesn't have to be a correlation anymore. It's just got to be like this clever thing. And so I went back to my desk and I'm just looking for inspiration around my desk and, you know, ended up you know, naming four or five songs on the album. And here's the thing. Here's where we can prove it. So uh, I will tell you where the song titles came from, which they can't because in interviews, people have asked them, (laughs) right? Go back and do the research. People have asked them, like, where did the song title come from? And they're like, oh, it was just the emotion where we are, we're at the point in time. (laughs) So um, for instance, here's the most random of all of them. Let's go. So there's a song on there. Uh, I think it's the last song on the record, kind of ballady. Uh, Some seek forgiveness, others escape. Right. Mm-hmm. The band. I promise you. I promise you. The band doesn't even know where that came from. I am the only person alive that can tell you where that song title came from. And here's where it came from. On my desk, as I'm trying to name the songs on the album without listening to the songs, uh, I had a. A copy of the Magnolia movie, like the Criterion Collection of Magnolia, right? The Tom Cruise, like, you know, wild movie, John C. Riley, all that. And so, uh, just trying to find random song titles, I'm reading the description on the back of the Criterion Collection, and it's describing the movie and all this ethereal stuff. And then, like, the very last line of the description of the movie says, Some seek forgiveness, others escape. Which, if you, ever, if you ever talk Holy to Under Oath, ask them where that came from. 
because they will have no clue, and that is exactly <laughs> where it came from. So the other one, which they have figured out, but you can find interviews before they figured it out. The other one, at that point in time, I was reading The Hobbit, and so The Hobbit was also on my desk, right? And so I'm like, oh, this is cool. So I've got Magnolia on my desk. Oh, there's a line. Grab The Hobbit. Very last line of The Hobbit is, it's dangerous business leaving your front door. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool line. I'll send that one to them too. And so... Uh, so originally you can go back, you know, do your research. So I would keep an eye out for it. People you go like, man, where'd the song title come from? And they're like, ah, it was just an emotional thing at the time. Right. <laughs> and somebody, I would guess somebody Bullcrap. probably called out to them and was like, you know, that's the end of the Hobbit. Right. And they're like, well, of course we know that's the end of the Hobbit. <laughs> so the next interview, totally. Aaron, you knew that, right? Yeah. yeah. So, the, yeah, so the I next interview when somebody's like, so where'd that come from? Oh, uh, last line of the Hobbit. But there's an era <laughs> oh, yeah. where they Sam didn't know. Frodo's. They're about to step out of the yeah, Shire totally. for the first time. <laughs> yeah. That's so, incredible. yeah, there's like four songs on the record that were literally just things scattered across my desk because I'm just trying to find like random titles for incredible. songs that I don't know what I'm naming. I think It's Dangerous Business was called the 80s song before. Like that was our working yeah. title, I guess, until yeah. you yeah. manufactured one for them. Yeah, there was, there was a, a period of time there where I swear bands were intentionally trying to make my life difficult because, <laughs> because the working titles factor, like yeah. they were named some of the stupidest things. And so I'm constantly having to do this math of like, this is the working title, this is what it actually is. And then I remember Anne Berlin one time, literally they just changed, the songs were the same, but they moved the titles around. Oh my gosh. Oh. And I'm like, so it became <laughs> what? I'm like I'm like you're trying to kill me. Yes, like you're like and like no, it's in the wrong order now. Just like mess with you. Yeah, I felt like some of the working titles were so long they literally didn't fit on the screen. Like it just kept right. going. Uh, and incredible. so I know I know I was kind of dogging under oath on that, but that that was actually a fairly normal occurrence between like naming an album, naming songs, doing track listings for an album. You know all that kind of stuff. That was like pretty, pretty darn common. Well, that under oath ones, like you were the A and R person at this time. Like yeah. this was this was in an A and R capacity. Mm-hmm. This is not a producer. This is not like yeah a consultant. This is you're just like yeah yeah. And so I guess uh, I guess adult I, babysitting. Adult babysitting, right? <laughs> right. Which part of that is naming creative input? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, I guess I never retorted. Well, I wouldn't retort, but Troy's like adult babysitting. 100%, that's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, as an A&R guy, the first time I ever heard that term, which I would imagine at least my generation, our generation, a little bit older, the, the first time I recall even hearing that was in the Tom Petty song, Free Fallen, and he says, yeah. the A&R man doesn't hear a single. And I'm like, A&R man? What's that mean? What does that mean, right? And I'm like, who's this guy that's like ruining this guy's dream of free falling? Yep. I'm like, yes. crushing, crushing the dude. Uh, but yeah, so functionally, like 100% babysitting, like 
it's just drama. You just deal with band right, drama, right? right. right. And, and he would he would shelter me from a whole lot of it <laughs> until he needed me yeah, to right. be the good cop and convince that, them. Yeah, like that's yeah, why like y'all they, are good buds, right? It's a good right. Yeah, like yeah. He, oh, absolutely. Like, he protected me from a lot of that shit. Yeah, yeah. and then he he bailed me out of a lot of shit as the guy that didn't work from tooth and nail that was backing up my thoughts to the band. Which again yeah, yeah. is not that Troy was parenting what I was saying. It's like Troy knows enough about music and albums, and he's actually yeah. listened to the White yeah. Album front he's to back, <clears throat> and so he knows about a concept resource. album. Yeah. Yeah. So he he can speak to that, right? And so I'd go, "Hey oh. Troy, like, I think ninety minutes of music musical interludes is a bad idea. What do you think?" <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, of course that's a bad idea." I'm like. Yeah. Great, we agree. Will you tell Emery that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, you know, functionally, like the A&R guy is like day-to-day, obviously, uh, communications with the band, managers. I'll talk shit on managers for hours. We'll do a whole, <laughs> whole like, 10-hour episode on managers. But handling that dialogue, but... Contracts, uh, licensing, yeah. but a lot ba- of paperwork. Ba- yeah. Basically overseeing day-to-day like all facets of a band so Mm. between like who's the producer that we hire who's the mixing engineer who's the mastering guy who or person who uh what is the album art what is the song Mm. titles what is the track listing like every facet who are we going on tour with like Mm. what relationships do i have to try to leverage you onto a tour um and so every facet like a day-to-day uh decent a and r person Day-to-day, like, there is something an A&R guy did a week ago that is influencing what a band is doing today or how people are perceiving a band. So, again, hiring uh, music video uh, directors, DPs, crews, like, every piece that uh, you see of a band, a manager will go, no, that was all me. Uh, And the (laughs) label guy's like, come on, come on, come on, dude. Like, get out of here. Yeah, the... The R in A and R, the repertoire, yeah. is a vast. John, how often vast thing. was someone? How often was an artist like bringing a producer to you and saying, "I want to work with this producer," as opposed to you sort of setting it up and being like, "This, this is your person." I would say eighty twenty. Eighty percent of the time, it would be me um, selling a band a producer. Eighty percent of the okay. time, I would I'd be selling a producer to a band. Twenty percent of the time. The band would be like, nope. knows a guy. This is the producer. <laughs> this is the person. Right. And it's like, this is my friend, and he's yep. up and coming. And then my role is to be like, no. No. <laughs> yes. He, uh, he is not up, and he is not coming. No, so we're not, not using this yeah. person. But let me point you into yeah, the but, direction. But, but my friend Stumpy has like a task game. He can totally yeah. produce our record. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and you could tell those records when they come in, because a lot of times you'll end up with like, Eight different dudes mixing. Oh, the band man. was never, and it's just it so there. difficult yeah. to find cohesion in that. That hurts. Um, <laughs> and you could, or if you see it's like mix number twenty-seven, <laughs> right? You know, oh, you're like, no. oh my gosh. <laughs> one of my, yeah. One of my favorite quotes is uh, Brian Eno, and his quote is, "If the mix is the problem, the mix is not the problem." Mm-hmm. And basically, <laughs> if it's <laughs> recorded great. well, if it's a well-performed song. Mm-hmm. Um, the song mixes itself. Mm-hmm. Like if you're yeah. overly focused on well, this would have been a hit if it, the mix was better. You're wrong. No. Yeah. Or, that's yeah. Not the real. fix it in post mentality kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's just problematic. <laughs> hey, jammers! I always feel weird calling saying jammers. Why? Now. 
It's the best. Because we don't we don't do it consistently enough. We only do it whenever it deserves to and be overused. Used. That's true. All you right. Hey jammers. Thanks for taking time out of your podcast listening experience to join us here in Adland, where we're gonna talk about Clyde Records. Clyderecords.com, in fact, is the the URL that you would want to go to to experience everything that Collide Records has to offer. And it is amazing. What do they what do they have? They got all kinds of music that you would want. CDs, vinyl, music that we cover on the show, that a lot of artists that you'll hear here. And then also just other artists is not limited to that. So you can pick up something that you're hearing us talk about on the show and then something else, you know, that just came out from a big time artist. They got anything that you want, really. YouTube. YouTube. They got that new, yeah, Songs of Surrender, that big old box set. Yeah, that's so, And the cool thing is that they've got big releases, but they've also got some like pretty niche stuff in there that like... It's hard to find, especially mm-hmm. if you're looking at CDs. I've picked up a few rare CDs from Collide, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. So they got some good stuff on there to find. Stuff that you can't really find in print anymore. That's the coolest thing. You know, for all of you haters out there saying that we sold out, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that, Kylan. That Everyone's saying movie? that about us these days. <laughs> uh-uh-uh. <laughs> Listeners, he just waved his finger. He wagged his finger at us. This is legitimately staying in the please, please for sure. Please um, yeah, no, we love Collide Records, man, because like, yeah, the inventory that they have is just astounding uh, for music nerds like ourselves, and for our listeners. If you find something that you really like on CollideRecords.com at checkout, if you type in Church Jams now. In the promo code section, you get 20% off. That's so good. Your first purchase, yeah. You get 20% off your first purchase, which is just I think we rad. can all confirm that it does uh, work. Yes, yeah. yes. We've all confirmed that it works, which is Very so cool. cool. Yeah, uh, I love being able to partner with Collide Records. I'm going to say it one more time, and then we'll get back to the show. Visit colliderecords.com, and if you find something that you really love when you're checking out in the promo code section, type in Church Jams now for 20% off your first purchase. Sweet, sweet savings. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> oh, no. uh-uh-uh. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> for a lot of years, um, you know, I think one of, one of my, whatever, tricks of the trade was, uh, you know, we were working with, uh, especially as Tooth Nail blew up and success of Under Oath and Amberlynn and, you know, that whole era of things, we were working with, you know, pretty large, like, notable producers and paying them exorbitant amount of money, especially for the budget of an indie. And mm-hmm. uh, what what I would start doing is try to figure out who that person's assistant was, which a lot of times they were so big that they wouldn't want to take a phone call from me the guy right, that's only right. paying him like 80 grand for a mix. And it's like, I'm not getting on the phone <laughs> for that guy. Yeah. And so they'd put their assistant on there. And so I'd build a relationship with the assistant and talk to them. And then I'd go, hey, uh, how much of this mix is you? And how much of this is actually, you know, this yeah. big name we're paying for? Mm. And they're like, I mean, honestly, like the guy just comes in at the last minute and like tweaks right, five things. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, and in my mind, I'm going, okay, I'm paying that. I'm paying that guy eighty grand. And I go, hey, I have another record coming up. Would you want to mix it for five grand? There it is. And then they so they go, smart. yeah. 
And so, so there, there is a lot of folk, and I'm not going to rat them out by saying names, but there is a lot of folk who are very reputable within the, in the industry right now. Absolutely. That exactly that relationship was, oh, they were the assistant to the big name guy, I'd pay him five grand for a record, and it would sound... Like the dude did it. Like the dude did it, because <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. kid that's actually doing yeah. the work and like learned the, the person. And so, you know, there's a lot of names, like, all the way from Foo Fighters, producers down, that they they got their break being the assistant that I'm like, yeah, I yeah. won't pay you 80K, but what about 5K? And I put your name on it. Mm-hmm. And they go, great. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's uh, you know, not genius in any way. Uh, it's very simple, but it ended up being gen- genius. In the yeah. Idea. And it gives people an opportunity to, like, rep themselves, right? And, like... Totally. Show their passion and their ability yeah. for the craft. And the the other thing he kind of left out but went around it is you can't pay someone to care. Yeah. Mm, wow. Right. Well said. And uh, so a lot of times when you get these big guys, um, you're going to be better off going with a lesser known guy that actually cares. Mm. And you yes. just, yes. that yeah. that part you can't yeah. buy. Yeah. Exactly what trying to say, and 100%. So you find the kid that has the talent learning under a big producer, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they're just hungry and scrappy, mm-hmm. and they're working 20 hours a day trying to make this, these records happen, that their name's not even on it. Right. And you're like, hey, right. five grand, and your name's going to be on it. And they're like, jackpot. Yes. I'm all in. Like, I will put my life, soul. I'm already working 20 hours a day without my name being on it. Right. I'll, I'll give you 24 hours a day for the next week for five grand to put my name that this is my work on it. Yeah, sleep, who needs it? Yeah, and, you, yeah. and it, like Troy's saying, those big name producers, you could pay them 200 grand and they're not necessarily going to care yeah. any yeah. more than they did at 80 grand, mm. right? If they were hurting right. enough to pay their Bentley bill at 80 grand. <laughs> but the kid who's like, living in his mom's basement, like, you know, b- eating top ramen, trying yep. to make ends yep. meet. He's going to go after it. He's going to yep. be like, oh, I will care more than anybody else. You give me five yes. grand and my name on it, I will care yeah. 100% yeah. more yeah. than that yeah. big name that we've all heard. Well, if you're familiar with production, I'll <laughs> care more than the person that you're paying 100 grand to. I'll, right. I'll go after it. I'll show it up. Yeah. yeah. And when you and pair so, that with, like, skill and good ears, it's like, Forget about it. Night and day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and that's part of, you know, with mastering, like, I have no idea what's, um, I gave up wondering what is actually going to be a hit and what is not years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, you just, you just don't know. And yeah. so the trick is to care about everything equally, even though I don't remember doing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but to, because, that's what I people have asked me in other interviews. I'm like, what makes you different? And I was like, well, I deliver on time and I deliver on budget in an industry that is constantly over budget <laughs> over time. and behind yeah. schedule. Yeah. And so, just on that aspect, if I can continue that, I'm going to beat out the other guys that are, you know, just constantly not on time. Right. And if you can care about everything you do, no matter how small it is, because you just don't know what's going to be big. Like, yeah, like yeah. I don't remember doing the Under Oath record, but I know I made it sound good. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The the trim work on that record yep. was all Troy, and that trim is <laughs> nice. Real nice trim, trim work on there. He moved um, on to the next record the next day, but he did that one. Yeah. yeah. That one. yeah. 
Josh, did you have any other uh, specific questions? Do we want to? Is there anything specifically? I, I'm enjoying just the pretty like free yeah, form. Yeah, so it's, y'all can just feel free to go and talk about whatever you want to do. Like it's all super interesting. Yeah, I'm well, loving I'm it. Like, I do have some like technical questions and like stuff like that. All right, hit me up with something technical. Wanna... Yeah, let's go technical. Well, okay. So uh, I this is more. I have some questions for Troy, but I mean, I feel like it applies also. John, you can answer. And then I have some other ones that y'all can both answer. But like, as you were talking about with like, just doing so many records all the time, like, I'm curious, like, how do you keep yourself interested in music? Like when that's like your job, Ugh. like how do you not get overexposed to it? Uh, I'm not interested in music. I love sound. Okay. That's a great answer. Amazing <laughs> answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> like, so the reason I got, I, I do enjoy music, but I love the I love sound, period. Mm. So, like, I love the physics of it. I love that uh, I'm going to be off a little bit in math, but I love that, like, a 20 hertz wave is 25 feet long, you know, in a room. So, like, all my mastering rooms have been pretty large-sized because of just the physics of it, you know? Like, Like, I would rather have a big room and let sound escape rather than have a small room, try to diffuse everything till you're blue in the face and try to compensate for these things. So my studios have always been um, where I can let low end out. Like, I don't want it in there with me. I want it to hit me and then leave the room. Disperse. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, my my rooms are different than most places. Like, I don't don't care about isolation. Like, I want want it to hit me and then leave. (laughs) Hmm. That's wild. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. cool. Yeah, which to that, as the non-mastering person in the room, you know, a lot of folk are like, oh, there's already a built-in mastering plug-in into Ableton. I'm just going right. to use this right. thing, right? Um, yeah, the know. misnomer that mastering is software. Right, totally. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'll just put this preset on it and like I'll run it through that, which I'll, I'll admit... <laughs> <laughs> Demon Hunter has been in fault of that in our last handful of records. Is like it's somebody with the software that's like I clicked the three buttons and like automated the whole thing. Right? Yeah, it's loud. Right. It's loud. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mastered. It's, it's which, mastered. It's louder. Sound better. Which, which I'll give some background on that. So uh, y'all could again, you're the research folk. You can uh, research this, but you know Troy mastered probably the first like five DH records. Yeah. And where it went wrong, I will uh, accept a good bit of fault for it. It's not just me. Are we going to be friends after this? <laughs> I mean, you're aware of this. We, we, talk, we talked about this as it was going down. <laughs> yep. But here's where it went wrong. And again, I'll take the blame. Um, Are you going to still be in the band after this? <laughs> I mean, Jeremiah's gonna trash hate Jeremiah. Me. <laughs> Jeremiah mastered a couple of records, clicking the. Troy free, is free just buttons. trying his hardest to just salvage this relationship. Yeah. John yeah. is just barreling yeah. 80 a, miles an hour towards oblivion right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there, there was an era. Troy could probably give you the years, but there was an era where you know it was dubbed the mastering wars or the audio or the volume wars, mm, and it was all about like wars, who yeah. who can make their records sound the loudest. Right. And so just the overall like DBs were just being pushed to a ridiculous level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could find out pretty easy just looking at all music and figure out what the next record Troy's name wasn't on was the one that, uh, you know, blown, blown out. 
Well, say the whole band was like, this needs to be louder than everyone else's record. And I'm like, sounds great, louder than everything else. Like, that's ACDC, man, let's do that, right? Mm. So Troy, Troy did an original master of it, which at this day and time probably would have been perfect. But then go back and like, hey, so me and the band, I'm not going to sell everyone else out, me and the band, we want it to be louder than all the other things. And Troy's like, bad idea, but if you want it, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's what we want. And he does it. Weird flex, but okay. Right. And then we play it in the car, and like our car speakers all sound like they're blown out. And Troy's <laughs> like, I told you so. Right. And the band's like, this sounds like garbage. We need to find somebody else to master <laughs> yeah. it. Right. And lost my gig because I did what they said. Yeah. No. And then, <laughs> right. Totally. And, oh, you know, Troy. that 100% Demon Hunter, my fault. Uh, but we're not the only band. That that was that whole era of mastering. Right. Was, it was just it was a, a mindset. It was just a volume competition of mm-hmm. like who can push it the loudest, yep. which ruins everything, right? Yep. So it's like yep. who can put trim work with nails deep enough that it punches all the way through yep. our siding? And then you go, yep. my house is leaking. It's yep. full of water. Yes. What does the mastering guy do? And you, it's like, you wrecked my trim. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> You told me to use nine-inch nails. No, no musical uh, connection there. Wait, did uh, Trent you, Reznor come in and do that? Yeah, like, Trent Reznor's like, you know, use nine-inch nails. My carpenter right? he had a nail gun, and then and then he's pissed off that the house is leaking, right? Which, hundred percent, that's Demon Hunter and Troy's story. That's where like that whole thing went sideways. And we're not the only band. Like there was that whole era that all just that whole mentality mm. was uh, ruining all the work that the foundation, the framing, yeah. you know, all the other things. And then the mastering engineer, you're like, no, 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 no. use the biggest nails possible. Right. <laughs> and Troy's like, so you're the client. I'll tell you, like, you're gonna have water leaks if the nails punch <laughs> all the way through the wall. Or if we're continuing the house metaphor, this is like the era when. Everyone covered all those beautiful mid-century hardwood floors with linoleum. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 Or shag carpeting. This is going to last forever. Yeah, shag carpeting. You you know what people aren't into? 100-year-old oak floors. Let's put some (laughs) vinyl over the top of this thing. That's going to look... Armstrong tile. Yeah, do it. Ain't ain't nobody going to miss those hardwood (laughs) floors under there. So I'm wondering, like, what changed? Like, like, when did we get to a, a point in that era where people were like, oh, actually, dynamics matter, and maybe we don't... Don't want to like blow speakers out. At, at some point, um, like I just kind of stopped playing the game, which did cost me some work. Um, sure. I basically would tell people um, I am going to make it as loud as I can without blowing up the mix, mm-hmm. and but I'm not going farther than that. And uh, yeah. that door doesn't open. Anymore. That door doesn't open, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to take a bathroom break and listen at the same time, but that door doesn't open. I'll be right back. You need Troy to work on that trim for you, man. Make sure you keep your lapel on for that. (laughs) So I basically got to the point where, like, I will push it as far as I'm comfortable without blowing up the mix. Like, it has to be big, punchy, and fun, and it has to make somebody want to grab the volume knob and turn it up. Um, Take their ponytail out. Not... grab the volume knob and turn it down because the right. tone of it is literally just yelling at you. 
And so eventually, I, I just stopped playing that game. Like, if you want someone else to, you know, blow up your mix, I'm not the guy. You're yeah. The do guy. you remember so, like a a rough like timeline on that? Like, were you like 2010? I mean, I want to like, say that I'm done. I want to say it was really bad. 2005, six, seven, and it's somewhere towards the end of that decade. I was just like, I am out. I am not mm. playing this game. And then, you know, what really I think solved a lot of it was the physical format of the CD becoming less pre prevalent yes. um, and it just going to streaming right. as uh, because everybody's getting leveled out. You know what I mean? Right. The, yes, everybody's the running their algorithm to, you know, Fleetwood Mac mastered in 1970 is just as loud as some Rick Rubin blown out recording, <laughs> right. you know, like, yes. like, Hey, it doesn't matter anymore. You know? So, um, Chili Peppers albums, man. and so like sometimes, <laughs> you know, like you do use volume because it will actually add aggression to the tone of the record. Right. Um, mm. but you still don't want to blow up the mix. Like, it's not like I don't like what a brick wall limiter does. Mm. I do <laughs> to a certain point. Um, and then you reach that point where it's the mix is literally falling apart. And, right, yeah. but, and I just got to that, like, I won't do it, you know, like I, I can't yeah. anymore. Cause again, I, I actually, I got into it because I care about sound. Yeah. Right. And I love that there's a universal truth in there because that's also something that a lot of great live performers will utilize to their, to their benefit. Right. They'll, they'll draw the listener in. Say it's a dive bar. Say nobody knows who's playing, and they're struggling to like get a connection with the audience, and they draw them in by singing a little quiet, yeah, and yeah, pausing. A and, and we got to a point where literally bands sounded better live than some of their studio records because they were so blown up. Right. I mean, and that like it's supposed to be opposite. Yep. Right. Like you're exactly. supposed to sound better on record than you are your front of house mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. But that's not always the case. <laughs> no. When that's the mentality, right? When we're trying yeah. to just blow things. But but I think it, it really shifted when stuff started going towards streaming. Um, and then, hmm. of course, it's taken big steps up. Um, like, I've always subscribed to Tidal, um, mm. the streaming service, because for years they've had the Hi-Fi and the Master where... Yep. Yep. And I compared it. Like, I literally hooked up Tidal, a, a digital out, and loaded it back into my computer, and I compared it to my master in the computer. I'm like, that's my master. That's it. Non-messed yeah. so cool. with. Yeah. And I'm so just like, rewarding. Oh, thank you, freaking God. Yes. Like, somebody... Yeah. And, you know, so recently, iTunes has kind of come on board with, you know, having stuff. You know, I'm like, I'm not asking for much, dude. Give me 16-bit 44.1. Like, you can't tell me the internet can't support it. Right. I got Netflix streaming <laughs> oh, HD no. movies till I'm blue in the face, and Spotify's given me this. Yes. You know? Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. I've, we, we've had those conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it is, like, overall and within the industry, are the loudness wars, like, over? Are they, like, coming to a close overall? Like, is everyone no, kind of realizing, yeah, I think oh, it's loud pretty, like, isn't I, more good? I haven't time. been asked to do it in quite some time, unless the band intentionally uses it as an effect 
like on a track. Sure. Um, right. Like they like that's literally part of the band sound is sounding a little bit blown up. Um, yeah. And if that is the case and it's a creative thing, um, you know, I'll push it, but then I'll turn the overall volume down a bit. So you get that kind of overly aggressive blown up tone, but it's not way over the top actually on the meters. Yeah. Right. I think about a band like Sleigh Bells, like that's kind of their whole thing. Like, yeah, it's just, just like blood, everything. Yeah. yeah. And if that's their thing and you're going for it, like that's literally part of your band's sound. For sure. I got no problem with that. Cause yeah, that's it's a creative yeah, choice, right? Yeah. That's a creative choice. I mean, it's just like a distortion knob on an amp. Like that's, if that's the tone you're looking for and that's part of your band's thing, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, you know, right. like I got no issue with that. So John, I, I'd wonder like how, how do you sort of um, jump into that, that space whenever you're seeing a band uh, try to go that direction, how do you kind of try to like navigate them away from like, where have there been any times where you, you had to step in and be like, look this, I know you think you want this, but you don't after learning your own lessons. Yeah. And so learning, learning that lesson through the DH record, which that was probably maybe the triptych probably yep. y'all could research it and figure it out. Yep. But, oh, well. uh, I think it was probably the triptych that that happened on. Right. And that's right. That was like kind of peak, uh, volume wars time. And so, uh, you know, a lot of bands in their masters were like, Oh, this needs to be louder. And I could reply to them and go, hey, I made that same mistake. Like, let me tell you about the same mistake that I made, right? And so I had firsthand experience going, this was a huge mistake, and I personally made this mistake or championed it. Uh, and don't, don't do this. It's going to sound like garbage when you play it on, you know, if you have $10,000 speakers in your house that can handle that, like, you'll, yeah, it'll be louder than sure, everything sure. else if that's what... But most people are driving a 2003 Kia Sedona. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And it's like, when you put that in your car, you will be disappointed in what's happening right now, right? And so I personally made that mistake, which not just with the mastering, but, you know, that was, um, you know, a value in, you know, doing A&R as well as being in a band on the label is I got to make a lot of mistakes or sit in the passenger seat for a lot of mistakes yes. for you know one of the larger bands on uh, Solid State and be like, okay, I will I will tell you our folly in this whole thing and like you can learn yeah. from our mistakes. And those hard earned lessons, like when they're personal, I feel like they they drive home a little harder for people when you share them. Yeah, they see it in your yeah. eyes, right? They're like, oh, this guy knows. <laughs> First this guy knows first. not to master louder than everybody else. He <laughs> learned that mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the other thing is it dates records. Mm, um, it does. Like, like it literally, it does for sure. you know what I mean? And like our job is kind of to make things that are supposedly timeless. timeless. We're, making a, we're making a little piece of history every day. That's one of the coolest things. Like yeah. small records, big records, every day I'm making something that is going to be a permanent part of history, yeah. which is a really, really cool thing about the job. But if you go back and listen to some of those records from that era, it's like it dates them. 
you know, and it, and it, yeah. not in a good way. Yeah, right. Cool. Yep. For yeah. sure. The last question I had, I guess, for being like real specific is like, do you use like reference music and like what are some of like your favorite records either to reference or just like you're like this is like a, the pinnacle of like sonic quality no no <laughs> all right cool Fuck so yeah. when I'm setting up a, when I'm when I'm setting up a room so I just built this yeah. room about a year and a half ago I will put on some of my favorite records when I'm getting the room set up I will pull pull up some of my older masters that I know sound good in lots of places. But when I go into a new project, um, unless the artist has specifically asked me to reference something, um, I, I, I don't go into it that way. Um, and if I do use the reference that uh, the artist has asked, I will do it after I've done my master. Ah, oh, nice. Hmm. Um, so I don't have that. I don't have that in my head um, because it really messes with you. One of the hardest things to learn as an engineer is when not to turn a knob. Yes, yeah. discretion, that restraint. Like there's yeah. just so many tools. Like records are made slower now. We have all this technology, and all and like it. Records are made slower now than they ever used to be made mm. because you have so many tools and so many options. Like it, mm. it's actually slowed us down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and paralysis by uh, analysis. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I believe it. I like that perspective. It's crazy. So, on the reference thing, <clears throat> fun story popped to mind. Uh, again, I'm I'm not gonna say the band name. Not that I have any. <laughs> you keep doing this. You're you're this you're this like story with? tease. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you the bread breadcrumb breadcrumbs <laughs> to sure. find it. Perfect. Sure. There's an artist name which we haven't said a whole lot of artist names. We've only said like five, and That's I'll crazy. give you a hint. It's not Starflyer, and it's not Under Oath. So there's like three right. other band names that we've Amberlin. said. Amberlin. Uh, and it's not Amberlin. I'll give you that hint as well. Um, but it was during the height of the Aaron, JR, Troy, like trifecta of the records. And so it was uh, this artist's first record. And uh, JR was mixing it at the compound. And so, you know, he's at that point in time, we had like, uh, at least at that point in time, I have no idea what it costs now, but at that point in time, we had like an $800,000 mixing console. There's SSL in there yeah, at that SSL, point. Yeah. G plus, yeah. yeah. So we had like an $800,000 mixing console. We had JR, which is one of the best mixers. Aaron produced the record. JR is mixing it. The band's in town. Send them away for a few days. You know, JR spends like a few days on like the first mix, just trying to get everything balanced, Mm -hmm. right? And JR, his talent is unprecedented, Mm -hmm. right? And so he gets the first mix done. Again, think of like a Martin Scorsese like sure, level person sure. like spending yeah. all this time on like a two minute edit and they're like right. putting their heart and soul into it. Brings the band in and uh, I was like, okay, I want to listen to it. And so we're playing it back, you know, over 20 grand worth of speakers at that point in time, which is probably right. 40 grand <laughs> worth of speakers. So this is as good as it is ever going to sound. Mm-hmm. And so in the room, yep. playing it back. And is this like, the Jimmy Eat World story? No. Okay. Uh, so and it's like, oh. <laughs> okay, well, I want that next. Right. So, yeah. it's like, so the, mi- the mix is just amazing. Mm. And so we listen to the song. JR, you know, he knows he's good. Like, you know, 
He's, he's yeah. not cocky, but like no. he, he knows what he can do. Dude is smooth. Yeah. So, gets to the song, hits the space bar, spins around, and he's like, what do y'all think? Ready for the praise and applause, which I'm in the back like, yeah! And the artist, being their first record, uh, the singer goes, at what point in time does this start sounding professional? Bruh. Like, how do no. you... How do you... No. Uh, what? What? Oh, oh, hey, Jr. Don't don't ruin the million dollar console that's in front of you. Right. Just smash your hands into it. Keep it cool, man. Yeah, and Jr. Again, Jr. is like consummate professional, and Jr. is like, he's like, uh, I'm confused. What do you mean by professional? Yes. yes. Like, well, when does it sound like you know the Lincoln Park record? When does it sound like the Lincoln Park record? And, oh no! And Jr. is like, when you start sounding like Lincoln Park. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, next week when Lincoln Park comes and I mix their record, that's <laughs> wild. And, and Jr. and Jr. goes, uh, I mean, I'll A B test Lincoln Park in this record. I'll bounce back and forth and let you see it. Yes. So he's yes. doing that. He loads Lincoln Park. He goes through the effort. <laughs> I mean, he could have told these guys just a freaking walk on their first record. Oh, yeah. They have a couple gold records, so again, I'm giving you breadcrumbs to follow the figure. But they got a couple okay, gold okay. records, um, and so JB or JR AB tests uh, Lincoln Park and their mix, and they go, oh, I guess it, I, I guess it does sound professional. This, good job, good job, JR. <laughs> that wow. is insane. Wait, good the job. funny thing to me is like artists are supposed to be people who sort of have intentional. Um, thought processes behind the words they choose to use. Yeah. Right. And like this person decided to go with the word professional. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, look at the room you're in, dude. Yeah. yeah right. You're the like, only unprofessional thing in here. <laughs> you're sitting in front of a million dollars worth of equipment. Right. They're like, like this is the one point in time that your record will literally sound. Yeah the best it will yep. ever sound no one else is going to hear it as good as this <laughs> that is yeah. insane to me nobody it's else has these speakers that you're going to hear this coming like, through yep you can go in and like your first record because like if you've only ever heard yourself on like real crappy like setups and like crappy recordings like how i don't understand how you can not be like blown away when you first hear it on like yeah. a very professional mix right. and setup like After, how like, could you be like labored no, I thought this would be better yeah i think it's over I, it. honestly i think it's if you've been listening to whatever something on a really good setup honestly can sound weird to you hmm. because yeah. Yeah. It, it, if you know what i mean yeah if like yeah. you're so used to whatever in your car right and right, right. you come oh. into a mastering studio or a mixing studio it's literally so clear so punchy it sounds weird right, if, right. well it you can know? almost be like the whole thing with like it, you know to tie this once again back to movies like the whole like james cameron avatar like high frame rate thing it could be like when you're when you're seeing that it can feel a little jarring mm -hmm. because yeah. you're if you're just used to like watching vhs tapes yeah you're like oh wait 
what is this? this feels weird this doesn't feel right but in reality it's like a lot of work went behind this and yeah, it's like th- really fucking good yeah this is too real i'm uncomfortable yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah. so i think yeah. that happens especially with a lot of newer bands especially that their first sense. time in a studio where their brain is just not adjusted to listening to anything in that that sort of fashion and they're yeah. not they're not pausing to like recontextualize the way it should no. be sounding in that room with that setup and with all the work that's yeah. gone into it. Rabbit trail off that, um, you know, when I was at Tooth Nail, I used to have a really cool audio setup at my desk that playing from my laptop, I'd have a little A to C or I think it was A to D switcher. Oh, you're good. I'm just checking. And uh, <laughs> so my A was a pair of like M88 you know, studio speakers, not super high-end, but, like, nice studio speakers, Rockets. Uh, that was my A, so I'd start there and go, what does it kind of sound like in the studio? That's great. And then my B setting was a pair of, like, Sony 8-inch, like, home stereo. Mm-hmm. And then I'd listen to it on that. And then my C setting, this is going to date me, but I went to Radio Shack and bought like 8x10 nice. car speakers that were like $20 that were awesome. in like the foam box. See right? for car. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the, in the, or not carpeted, not foam, but the yeah, carpeted yeah. foam box. And that was my three speakers. So I'd go, great. What does it sound like? Close to what's in the studio. What's it going to sound like in somebody's home? What does it sound like in the car? Mm-hmm. And that car was really the der- determining factor of being <laughs> yeah. like, this is where, and again, this is before, you know, most of us listening to it on Beats headphones, which just, like, right. crank all the bass and, like, yeah. throw the whole balance off of the whole thing. It's a whole other podcast. Right, but, uh, so we don't have to go down that rabbit trail, but I'd, I'd work my way down, and I'd get to the car speakers, uh, which, again, at that era, that was, you know, predominantly where we do our music listening, be like, great, right. it sounds good in the studio, you know, it sounds good uh, in your home stereo, but rocking Radio Shack 8x10s for 20 bucks for a pair, like, that doesn't cut the mustard, right? Like, we, right, we right. got to pull this back or push this up or, like, how do we tweak it within that? Um, you know, and kind of putting, your, fascinating. I putting, love that. putting yeah. yourself in the setting of, like, the average consumer that's going to be listening to this record. How are like, most people, yeah. yeah. How are they? Yeah. Are most how are people they... going to be consuming this? Totally. Yeah. That is so rad. Okay. The genius setup, yeah. Yeah, that's such a good, I know, I want to do that now. I want to do that for, just, just for the podcast when I'm, when I'm <laughs> editing hear all of our, our all of our <laughs> dulcet tones. What does it sound like in your <laughs> car? Sound? Uh, I'm going to go buy another Kia Sedona, just just to <laughs> AB test our podcast. Um, find a Radio Shack. Somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> find a Radio Shack. Yeah, good luck in the past. Um, okay, guys, I think we're 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 uh, we're, we're kind of closing in. So Josh looks like he he's he's <laughs> well. John he's got John more to say. mentioned the Jimmy World or Troy mentioned it. Oh, Troy mentioned the Jimmy, Jimmy World, World story. He's dangling in, he's in front just of Josh. Jimmy E World story. Yeah, I've got a couple Jimmy E World stories, so I'm curious which which one. Are you? So this is the one. It's another JR mixing, and uh, as I recall, the story was he was mixing Amberlynn, and it was kind of the same story where, like, we want to sound like this, and so JR puts on the Jimmy E World record, yeah. and their mix sounds better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Which I, can, can we can we know what which record was it? Clarity. Uh, I want to say that was their. I want to say that was Blueprints. What was well, the one that was and, done up in yeah, Brian Adams' studio? Oh, nice. Yeah, actually, I'll, I know y'all want to go, but you're all firing up stories I now. Do. So, <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm trying I'll to back, just... maintain a level of professionality of like having having time limits. But yeah, I don't give a fuck. I'm here all <laughs> night for all the stories. So uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was never take for friendship personal, if I remember right. Was it? Uh, no, that that one was mixed at uh, Garth Studio, which uh, short version, there's a long version, but short version of that story, <laughs> I was driving back uh, from Garth Studio with the uh, hard drives with the master on it, or mix on it, came to the Canadian border to come back into the U.S., and they're like, what were you up here for? And I was like, oh, a band mixing. And they're like, do you have copies of mixes in the car? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. Like, that's what I was up here for. That's what we're doing. And they're like, please pull over, sir. And again, I'm telling them a short story, so I'll skip all the details. But basically, they, they confiscated the master to, or the mix to prove that we had paid taxes to have it mixed uh, in Canada. And it turned into this whole thing, and I just spent hours at the border. Uh, again, that, that was when Jim Worthen came in to <laughs> bail me out and, you know, CFO extraordinaire right now. <laughs> thanks, Jim, yeah. for listening, and thanks for all your support throughout the years. Uh, but, uh, so then the second one, um, so that was Blueprints, I think that was Blueprints that was at Gagar Studio that we were mixing. So then Friendship, I think, was next. So that one. Is that the Brian Adams one? Didn't, didn't. I swear it was, I. It was Nickelback. So oh. did, didn't learn our lesson about uh, mixing. Even better. First record in Canada. So uh, the second record, uh, there's a studio in Canada called Armory. And so we were mixing the Amberlynn record up there. So I was with the band, hanging out for the mixes, doing the whole thing. And Nickelback happened to be there working on the record at the time. I don't know what record. I'm not. <laughs> so I can't be the discography. <laughs> they were recording a record at the time. And so, yeah, we were hanging outside, uh, hanging out outside and things like that. So, uh, Chad Kroger, the singer, that's the only name I know, <laughs> and like the guitar player that's came one out uh, one of the early days and we're, you know, BSing outside and talking about records and we're like, hey, you should come in and, you know, give it a listen, right? We're right across the hall from you. Like, come on over and listen to, to our mix and see what you think. And they're like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. So Chad Kroger walks in. Goes inside, and uh, the guitar player starts roaming in, gets like halfway up the stairs, and then he stops, and he turns around, and he's like, hey, uh, do y'all like want an autograph or anything? I'm like, <laughs> you know, can I hook you up? Y'all seem pretty cool. You want an autograph or anything? And like, nah, nah, dog, we're, we're nah, cool. So, I'm good, I'm good. But, <laughs> but we, were, we were up there for like another seven days, and after that interaction, it was just like completely awkward. Ooh. They never came over to listen to the mixes. It was like we didn't talk to each other by the pool table or like the hallway or any of that oh, kind of that's stuff. So funny. Uh, that's so funny. So funny. Your supply yeah. is fine. I'm just not high on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Oh so, my God, that is so funny. So the, la- the other one that I teased out, if we got bored, and we can end on this because it seems like you're all getting bored. So I'll, I'll end go. on this. We're not getting oh, bored. No. you got to stop saying we'll that. Never, I'm yeah, just, yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay, so this is... He's trolling. I, I love this story. Yeah, I don't think I've ever told it publicly. So this is a great opportunity. Oh, man. It's perfect. Well, it was te- teasing out earlier, talking about, you know, when Troy would master record, he'd make four copies... Two of them would go into storage, like long-term storage. Mm. So, two canals, long-term storage, I don't know if it's still there. But at the time, uh, was this place in Bellevue, Washington. Good luck trying mm. to break into this place if you're trying to steal, like, original Superdome's <laughs> Masters. Good luck. Um, but it was called Iron Mountain. And it's, it's like, James Bond level, like, top security, like, armed guards. It's all underground. You have to have, like, thumbprints and retina scans and passcodes and, like, all this kind of stuff to get in there. (laughs) And so uh, I would go in there fairly regularly to, like, pull these old masters from way back in the day because some film and TV, like, Fox wanted it for Family Guy. And I had to, like, go find the original master, make stem mixes out of it, send it to Troy to master it, like, whole thing. Um Crazy. So I, I was there enough that uh, I made friends with like the security folks. So after you got through security, which would take you 30 minutes, there was an armed guard that had like an MP5 automatic, you know, sub rifle uh, that would escort you. You couldn't walk around freely. It was like a guard, and there's elevators, and um, so. I don't, the elevators would not say what level you were on, and it was all controlled by the front desk, so there was no buttons to push, you didn't know how far down you were going, all these things. I'm telling you, it was James Bond level shit. (laughs) This is insane. And so our, again, I don't know how far we went down, but we went down a ways. And then, um, so the tooth nail lockers were like at the end of this long hallway, and we were all the way at the very end. And then next to us was the sub pop, uh, lockers and nice. so uh, all Good of our news. masters would be stored in there and they would only turn the lights on it was all like controlled which now this isn't that fancy but at this point in time this is like height of technology that only your pathway would be lit and your like you know room that you walked into so you couldn't That's really see wise. anything else <laughs> so you know there's this guy with like an automatic machine gun standing with me watching me for 30 minutes as i'm like where is supertones masters at and all of this disorganized stuff right so we made friends so he was the one that was like oh sub pop is next door and you know they come every once in a while but not as often as y'all so anyways uh striking the relationship with him then learn so it was us sub pop and then uh, Kurt Cobain had already passed away at this point in time, so rest in peace. But it was Courtney Love's uh, storage locker in Iron Mountain in Bellevue. Wow. And so, uh, you know, at one point in time, he, you know, shined his flashlight. He's got a big old mega light. And he's like, yeah, this is like all Nirvana stuff in here, right? And being a 80s, grew up in the 90s kid right, in Seattle, right, yeah. I'm like, oh, tell me more. So he's got his mega light, because... Again, the auto lights don't come on, and he's like, yeah, here's all the stuff, and you can see flight cases, says Nirvana on it, like, you know, oh wardrobe gosh. racks, like, all this stuff. And there was a couple of paintings in there. Do you remember this? I've told you this before, yeah. but it's probably been a while. <laughs> but there, there was, like, some paintings that were just haphazardly, like, stacked up, and he's like, yeah, and there's some Kurt Cobain paintings. I'm like, whoa, 
this is wild, right? Like, my youthful days are, like, blown away that I'm on the other side of this chain link wall. Right. So anyways, leave, come back a couple weeks later, and digging through, looking for that same Supertones master, trying to figure out where it's at. <laughs> strike back this time. I'm trying to find Supertones, strike back. And so it's the same security guard, and he's like, hey, he's like, I got a fun story for you. Um, sucker for good story. I'm like, yes, please. As I'm <laughs> looking go. through all these masters, tell me what you got. And he goes, so uh, last week, like in between last time you were here, he said the lockers across the way from you is overflow for the Se- Seattle Police Department. They bring the evidence here that they can't store in their facility anymore. They bring it over here. What? He's like, so uh, this place. You know, the police were here. Uh, Iron Mountain, look it up. Bellevue, it's right across 405 from the Bellevue Mall. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's public knowledge. I was going to say, this is not what I expect when you're like, I'm an A&R guy. And you're like, this is this is what you're part of your job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, Seattle Police Department, they have like three lockers across from you and Sub Pop and Nirvana. That's all Seattle Police Department. And I'm like, okay, cool. Crazy. He's like, so they were down here and they were looking at evidence. And they asked us to turn all the lights off because they wanted to, like, black light, look at some evidence and see, you know, DNA and whatever. None of my business what they were looking for, but they wanted to black light on some things. And he's like, so we turned off all the lights, and the police are in there with black lights looking at the evidence. And he's like, I was standing by their Nirvana locker. And he's like, those paintings that are sitting in there, he's like, were glowing. And I was like what's going on over here? And he said, I looked over at the paintings. You could clearly see like three or four of these paintings. And he said, there was messages like handwritten that were glowing that you would not see without the blacklight that were like purely glowing. Uh, and I don't remember, you know, the exact phrases, but he like repeated the phrases to me, uh, which this was not one of the phrases, but it's like, you know, the Kurt Cobain, like God is gay kind of quote. It was all like that yeah, kind of stuff sure. written on it. And he was like, and it was all shining back to me. He's like, so Courtney Love was here and she was like pulling things out. And so I told her, I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Seattle Police Department, lights out, black light. <laughs> and, you know, there was messages written on all these paintings sitting there, like thinking he's going to blow her mind. And Courtney Love's like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's like, you know. And she goes, yeah, okay, sit down for this. And she goes, yeah. Oh, my God. Kurt's, Kurt's standard method for finishing a painting was to use his own semen to write a message on the painting which was glowing under the black lights and she was not surprised by what happened. So I think we dropped the mic there and then end the whole conversation. But... uh, I mean, we, we have... There's no way to just, like, top that. There's no way to go into, like... Okay, so like, let's talk about DBs and so, about <laughs> like, spatial yeah, what the fuck? Strategy. Like, there's <laughs> that that is the end all be all of maybe podcasts. We're oh. done. Uh, wow. We broke that, the podcast net. <laughs> that was such a wild story. I am. I love that it was like so... three stories within stories. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I know. Narrators. I was. That, I was. Like, seeing this movie in my head of just like <laughs> yeah. of this like heist yeah. and then it goes into all the oh that was amazing bum, bum, that was bum, bum, so bum, bum. good Kurt Cobain. so Kurt Cobain. <laughs> Courtney Love. i like i don't even know what to do after that i guess like do you want to tell people where they can find you online <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll wrap it up. Up. no, no. Here. 
Here's where here's where where we'll end it because this is Troy's interview and y'all called Troy and I just happened to be out here and he drugged me along. Um, but here here's the plug I'm gonna give for Troy, and this is for Demon Hunter and all the other bands. Okay. That you know again like mastering has become this like it's a preloaded software and I click the three buttons and like I do mm-hmm. the whole thing right, uh, and that is predominantly what bands do these days. Uh, or maybe not predominantly. Like, if you're a legit band, you're not doing that. You're actually paying for mastering. But, you know, like indie bands, it's like, oh, I just click three buttons and I go for it, right? right. You've already heard Troy talk about methodology and how he builds a room and, and the size of the room and the math of, like, what it takes for lower dBs to actually dissipate and bounce back and, like, all those kind of things mm-hmm. that, you know, so many folk just click the buttons and be like, I just saved $1,000 clicking these three buttons, <laughs> right? Uh, but in the long scheme of things, like, you're losing, you know, 20 to 25% of the audio quality, that finish work, right? It's kind of like, yeah. I've hired right. professionals to build my whole house, going back to the original analogy. I've yeah. hired professionals to build my own house. It's going to take $1,000 to you know, case out all my windows and do the baseboard, screw that, I'm going to do it myself, right? And it's like, the folk who are discerning will notice the difference, and they'll be like, this is a really nice house, what happened to your trim work? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I wouldn't want to live in that house. Right. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And the the budget is so negligible between clicking three buttons or, you know, dropping a grand or two grand to get your record done... In the grand scheme of things, if your brand's worth a shit, two grand is not going to be that big in like the legacy of what the music right. you're creating sure. and the art you're putting out there. And even if you don't recoup that on selling it, when you show your kids 20 years from now when they're old enough to appreciate music, like have it sound good. Have some good trim work going on. Mm-hmm. And again, like mastering, you know, mixing can get out of, out of control. You can spend hundreds of grand in mixing. You can spend right. hundreds of grand... On engineering, like you can drop crazy money, but like mastering, is almost not- anyone can afford decent mastering. Yeah, like, yeah, but anyone, it's amazing yeah. how many people choose not to. Right, totally. Yeah. But right. going back to the house analogy, like your walls can't be straight. It might not be straight. Like the framer might not have been that good, but if you have a fi- good finished carpenter who's like, you know, matching the lines on the floors to be like the floor is not yeah. level, but at least my eye line, like I can yeah. scribe this whole thing. So when I put in the baseboard, like. You won't yeah. even notice there's a two-foot hump in the floor, yes. right? Yeah, there's a... There's right, much, right. As far as yeah. I can tell. Yeah, as far as your eye, <laughs> yeah. like, until you walk across it and you're like, oh, holy... Oh. There, there, this house. There's a saying that I've heard that uh, trim forgives a multitude of sin. Well, I would say mm. caulking yeah. forgives a multitude <laughs> of sins when it comes to trim. Yep. Um, there it is. But, so, that's my plug for Troy. Uh, or not just Troy, but just mastering in general. Is that mastering like, in general. Yeah. Everyone making your own records, like, sure. Audio is cheap these days. Plugins are cheap. You know, mics are cheap. You, you know, whatever. You can get disposable all the things. But spend a thousand bucks to actually get a legit trim work to come in and, like, level yeah. the whole thing out. And, yeah. you know, at the point in time you're going, a thousand bucks or three, these three buttons. It's like, yeah, it's easier to pay the three buttons. Yeah, but- but long term, that's hundred percent. It's called, it's called mastering. It's not called amateuring. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> and, and I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna regret that. That's that on the business no, you're card. not. We're, I love that. That's and my that, new favorite. Again, thing. that's everything. Like the misnomer is uh, 
mastering isn't software. It is a multi-step creative process. <laughs> right. I love that. I love Absolutely. That. Sweet. So I think we're we're gonna wrap it up there. Once again, Troy and John, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This, this has been awesome. amazing. Freaking amazing. This has been the best yeah. way I could think of to spend a Friday night. So yeah. <laughs> thank you for spending it with us. Yes, yeah, yeah. we so greatly appreciate it. Uh, so for the listeners, everyone out there, uh, this is the end of the show. May all your favorite bands stay together and peace out, Monfrayers. Peace out. Bye. Thanks, y'all.